You're listening to World of Empowerment Radio, your station for practical spirituality in a changing world. And here are your hosts, Angel Rose and Ahanu. Well, Angel Rose, there's something that has come up today that, you know, I'm kind of puzzled about, and it has me flying high, right? And I say flying high because we're going to have a guest on today who's a been a private pilot since 1977. The guy flies as his passion, as his, as his hobby. But what I'm talking about flying is, it seems that we're flying into other dimensions. And just recently we had the occasion to talk with somebody who was talking about um, a kind of a flip that we're experiencing in our consciousness where we seem to be flying through portals and experiencing different things. And it's coming easier and easier for more people. Yeah, the Matrix is becoming really quite vivid lately. <laughs> uh, in particular, uh, Hannah, we should share with our listeners what you're actually talking about. And it is uh, had to do with memories. It had to do with what we remember from different titles of movies and TV programs and things like that. And there was. it turns out that some of the things, like they started out with Star Wars saying the moment Darth Vader told Luke that he was his father, and the phrase was, Luke, I am your father. But nowadays they say, no, that's not right. That Darth Vader actually said, no, Luke, I am your father. Okay, so it was asking like, which, which one do you remember? Mm-hmm. And it went back to uh, like with um, Tom Cruise when he played the part interview with a vampire, okay? that everybody remembers the title of that being Interview with the Vampire. But now, if you look at the DVD, it says Interview with the Vampire. Okay, so anyway, it went on like this for quite a while, demonstrating that some of us have memories of things being called certain things, and then they seem to have changed. The titles seem to have changed. And where did the titles change? And he traced... One thing back to a shift that happened in 2001 with the Bernstein Bears, that show for children, remember? And that it was always called the Bernstein Bears, you know, Mm. Bernstein. Mm. Now it's called the Bernstein Bears. Mm -hmm. And he traced it back to 2001, the website changed the name. Mm. So so where did that happen? Well, I think, you see, when I talked about uh, flying, one series that we watched one time, I've forgotten what the name of it is now, but it was all about portals, going through portals, and it was all about kind of flying into uh, the awareness of... You're thinking of of sliders, are you? No, 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 something that we watched one time, I can't remember the name of it now. But anyway, my point is that it, it seems that when people talk about awareness training and when people talk about... Uh, growth of awareness and the growth of consciousness it seems that this kind of flying through portals and this kind of uh, growth in consciousness is something that's becoming more and more acceptable to people all around the world but here we are in Redmond Oregon and very very close to Bend Oregon where one of the best awareness trainers that I've ever come across lives and is with us here today and he's the private pilot and his name is Richard Benson. Richard, you're very, very welcome. Welcome, Richard. Thank you. My pleasure. <laughs> so he has an interesting story to tell us, Ahanu. 
I love the way you always weave in this really far out stuff and bring us back down to 3D where we're going to actually apply it in our consciousness. Yes, yes, yes. Well, that's one of the good things, too, that we want to talk to you, Richard, about today is about bringing this high level consciousness down into the practical awareness that is benefit to the man and woman on the street. Because mm-hmm. this is the, this is one of the big questions we always get asked, and let's now pose it to you. How does one make that leap in the growth of awareness on a day-to-day basis, on a, something that's easy and practical and understandable for most people? I know you do it through your workshops, but tell us, how. give, give us your advice in simple terms, how somebody can actually grow in awareness from the work that you teach. Hmm. Well, I think uh, in my my different classes, like the awareness training you two were at, um, a lot of it is done at the time with releasing things that aren't part of your perfection. So, you know, little do some people realize that's what's going on, but I think there is a lot of, uh, through the experiential process, a lot of releasing of things that um, just aren't really complementing who you really are as an eternally mortal, indestructible, incredible being. But I think your question is more, well, what do I do Monday morning when I get home? And um, I, there are, of course, many, many different things. Uh, contemplation and meditation, of course, are huge. And, you know, that's not for everybody, but I, I personally think taking 5 or 10, 15 minutes every morning or evening or both uh, for some form of spiritual exercise or prayer or whatever the indiv- however the individual might want to term it, I think it's really invaluable particularly in the morning, to kind of pre-pave the day. Um, and then during the, the course of the day, one, one thing that I found personally very valuable is um, being, being in an appreciation state as much as possible. You know, like just the difference between driving down the highway and thinking, oh, here's my list of things I got to do when I'm in town versus driving down the highway and going, man, look at those beautiful clouds. Look at those llamas in the field. Look at the dog running across the park, you know, sending out blessings to them and so on. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, being energetic beings as simple as that might sound, just appreciation and looking for the the good and the love that surrounds us, I think, um, as energetic beings, just keeps our vibration that much higher. Right. Uh-huh. Have you done your appreciation for the snow right now? No, it's <laughs> snowing outside here, and it's not something that I can really, really appreciate because, you know, I'm not into winter sports. He needs sports. work, everybody. I do, I do. I'm not into winter sports, and it's, you know, to me, uh, it's not my ideal environment. I prefer a warmer environment, but I think that may be down to personal preferences too. You know, I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with it or it's a negative thing. Just for me, I like a warmer climate. Mm-hmm. Yes, all right. I may accept that as an answer. I'm not quite sure. but Okay, but Richard, in all seriousness, let's go back a little bit and hear your story because you've done quite a few things in your life. You were a chiropractor and... Uh, you left that practice at one point and, you know, moved more into, you know, spiritual trainings and things like that. So could you tell us a little bit about your own process and how you went from that 
to a spiritual training, or do you see it all as the same thing? Well, in a way, it's it's the same. You know, going from chiropractic to guiding experiential seminars, um, because my foundation goes back um, even before. Well, actually, it was my first year of chiropractic college um, when I stepped into spirituality. I think I was always interested in it, but never pursued it. But then when we moved to Oregon, the first couple that we met in Oregon, um, you know, were just kind of like us at age, what was it, 22. I started chiropractic college. You know, we were skipping dope, skipping rope and smoking dope, <laughs> as the saying used to go, having a good time, studying hard in chiropractic college. But anyway, after a few months, this the guy in, in this couple, Phil, went through this transformation. He didn't want to have a beer on the weekend, didn't really care to smoke any marijuana anymore and so fine said Phil what's up with this and he goes well and he just gave me a book <clears throat> and anyway it was a biography of a guy named Paul Twitchell do you know Paul yeah modern founder of Eckencar mm -hmm. so I'm not here to you know lean on you or anyone any of your listeners to study Eckencar but I read that book and it just touched my truth center and I started doing spiritual exercises and singing the, the you know, holy word, spiritually charged holy words that they recommended. And, and my life started transforming also. So really, my, my way into truth was back in about 1972. That was the beginning of it with Eckenkar and gave me a real different perspective on life, you know, that the physical plane was, um, it just softened everything. It's not as important what I see with my physical eyes as learning about myself as soul. So I think that got me through chiropractic college, got me into practice. And, um, you know, back in those early days when I'd see a patient, I'd do my best to look at them as soul versus looking them at as arthritis or sciatica or migraines. Yeah, so that was kind of the start. And that foundation, I, you know, here, what, 50 years later, over 50 years later, I think, I can't do my math too well, but since 72, I would not call myself a, a purist as far as Zach and Carr goes. I still have high respect for for that organization and their the tools they offer. So I, but I, I'm not a purist, but um, nonetheless, you know, just the, the disciplines I, I, I learned at that time have, you know, really been a foundation. Now, I mentioned that you were a pilot, and what I'd love to know is how, how in those early days even, how you merged both this growing sense of spiritual awareness and the practical aspects of running a chiropractic business and earning money and paying your mortgage and all that kind of thing. Mm. Like, that can't have to come from just spending 15 or 20 minutes in the morning meditating. Uh -huh. Uh, or did it? I, I, I think I, I hear your question in that, Ahanu. And um, in the office, for example, well, like I mentioned, you know, I'd, I, I would do my best to look at people as soul rather than marry with this complaint and that complaint. I actually had a little, right outside, the, they'd be sitting in one of my three rooms, and um, when before I'd walk in, there'd be a little holder there with their card and, and a little button nobody ever saw, but a little button there I'd push. And that, in my imagination, this is one example, I'd 
visualize a room full of light as I walked in. And it was just, okay, so we got this light going, so I'm protected, you know, so I don't take on all their stuff. And but that was just an imaginative exercise. Yeah, okay. yeah okay. this was just pretending that yes. that the light, the room was filled with light. <laughs> and um, that, that, you know, little things like that really helped. Um, another, another thing that I did was uh, after about a year, I got, a, a, and I think this may be part of the answer too, I was pretty burned out after a year on my own. I spent one, one year with a fellow in Salem before we moved to Bend for my own practice. But he had, I believe, the, the busiest practice in Oregon. And so my mentor was highly successful, um, wonderful Christian man, just full of love. And that was, he really wasn't that good of a adjuster. And he'll, he didn't even tell you that. But he had so much love and so much energy, people got well. Right. And um, anyway, he, he also knew, you know, took me to seminars on how to build a practice. So when I got over to Bend, I did, I kind of modeled his practice and got real busy real fast. But after a year, I was burned out, mainly compassion-wise, just, you know, well, what's hurting a day, Ahanu? Is it any better than last time? All that. I just, I was depleted after about a year. So what saved me was I, there was a seminar called Renaissance, and it was all about um, repositioning the new patients from sickness care to wellness care. So it was all about having them come in before you ever talked to them or consulted with them, talk with them on a pre-care class basis. Um, and in this class, basically just sharing the, the miracle of the body, how the body repairs and heals, and that we really don't, even though most people think we do headaches, backaches, numb arms and stuff, what we really do is remove interference to the miracle that you bring the doctor in with you. So, so that saved that? me. By, by way of a presentation, well, like a mm -hmm. PowerPoint or a video or something? That you well, back in 70, let's see, I started my own practice in 78. Um, it was a chart lecture. They okay. didn't have PowerPoint in right. back then, but it was a chart lecture and in my office. And so if you called in as a prospective patient mm -hmm. at that back then, well, for the next decade or so, you'd hear, well, you need to come to his class Monday night at mm -hmm. 6, mm -hmm. and he'll explain what we do. He'll show you his adjusting tools. He'll explain our fee system, da, 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 da. And so the educable ones were, the open ones were, okay, I've never done anything like that, but I'll be there at six. And the ones that were really close, like, I just need an 85 decibel crack. I'm not coming to no stinking class. They wouldn't come. They would go somewhere else. So it was a great filter system for the open ones and the closed ones. So it was a class format. Yeah. Now, that sounds great from... Uh, somebody who wanted to promote a chiropractic business, which you mm -hmm. no longer do. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. what, what then was the big move from that kind of way of helping people to the way that you help people now? Because what you do now, and, and we've experienced it because we both attended one of your awareness classes, I mean, is a very powerful way to shift mm -hmm. someone's uh, a way that they look at life and the way that they look at others. Yeah. So how did you move from like the one-to-one -one kind of chiropractic work into the one-to-many Mm -hmm. What happened? That's a great question. Well, actually, I was I was kind of dragged out, 
kicking and screaming and clawing all the way. Because <laughs> I was in, you know, I had this busy, busy lucrative practice and I was near the end of it, I was being burned out again, even though I had a fair amount of wellness people, non-symptomatic, health-oriented people with their families. I had a lot of them and a, and a very reasonable fee system to allow that. Um, so I had a, a very healthy practice, but I, I think it was the volume that kind of got me burned out. And I really should have considered selling the practice and just being open to what's next. But it, it, the answer to your question is it finally took a lawsuit, a very unsubstantiated lawsuit for me to go, I'm getting out of here. Once we solve this drama, then I'm going to build the practice up again and sell it. And I, I don't know what I'm going to do. But So anyway, it took a lawsuit, kind of a, a four by four in the glabella to yes. get my attention. Sometimes it's the tower card yes. and the tarot. Yeah, we've discussed that in the past, actually, with, with between ourselves as well as with other guests about learning through adversity. A lot of times it actually takes some kind of a train to come and mm. just run you over yeah. un until you get it, until you get the message. So, yeah. yeah, it seems that you were kind of born to do what you're doing now because you're such a natural at it. Mm, well, thank you. Thank you. I, I, I think that really was the big picture that Spirit wanted me doing what I'm doing now. Um, so describe and, what it is that you do now. Pardon me? Describe what you do now. Oh, okay, what I do now. Well, you know, when I, when I guide a class, I really show up without an agenda on my part as far as, oh, Martha's coming. we got to fix Martha this weekend or whatever. I have no agenda. The attitude is, um, it's multifold, but part of it is whatever people get out of it is perfect for them. Some people release a lot. Some people participate real deep. Some people participate less deep, and it's all it's all fine. There's no agenda on my part in that respect. Um, the another attitude that allows it to be fun for me, and I think the group is, um, I I assume whoever shows up is meant to be there, that they're the the perfect ones um, to create this you know, this day together, weekend together. So I'm assuming that spirit will guide the right, the right people. And, um, you know, I, with, at the risk of sounding egotistical, I've, I sense that the, I'm able to mold the group energy. I don't see the energy like auras and so on, but I really kinesthetically uh, feel the group energy. And it, it feel, even though I, you know, I, review my material before every class several times so I'm you know kind of know where I'm going next I just feel like sometimes I need to amplify this or slow slow down here or skip this and and so there's there's guidance there too but I kind of sense the group energy um, and after you know whether it's well like Two weeks ago in, in awareness training, there were uh, tw 18, you two and 18 other people. And you know, by the end of the first day, it just felt like one energy field versus 20 individuals. So it feels very moldable to me. So I can't explain how that happens, but it just feels moldable and magical in that way. Yes, he he put us through the ringer, everybody. If we were to tell the truth, he took us into this memory. Speaking of memories, he took us into this memory exercise. Well, that was what forty-five minutes. 
or so or more. 40, 45, 45 yes. minutes. Uh, I did have a difficult time with it. I think because, um, you know, you took us back to review our childhood and then our parents. Okay. And, uh, you know, what's interesting in exercises like that is if it, when you, when somebody tells you to go back to when you're three, for example, and normally you'd say, well, I have no memory of myself at three. You know, but then when you do those exercises, you find that indeed you are back mm-hmm. at three and you are watching things and you are feeling things. And um, so, of course, I went back to, you know, a, a long standing issue of mine. And I, my thought process was, oh, here I go again. You know, I'm <laughs> going back to this. And only now I'm seeing things which, you know, proved that I was right, you know. <laughs> And then at the end, you take us into this, um, basically a forgiveness exercise is what it turns out to be, or embracing of your parents. And uh, and I, I, I'm the kind of person where I need uh, two or three days after I do something to integrate it and get everything out of it. Mm-hmm. It takes me a little while, but I know I went home that night, sick to my stomach. I know I went home exhausted. And um, I just couldn't wait to get in bed. I can okay. see everybody writing right now on their pad, don't attend awareness no, training. No, that's, I'm just saying, <laughs> no, because as, what happens out of that is that you do go through this integration mm-hmm, and you mm-hmm. do go through this, um, the pieces get put back together and they all yeah. come full circle and you end up at a place where you, you're just feeling good. But for me, it takes a couple of days. I'm just sharing yeah. me, what I'm yeah. like, yeah. that I it doesn't matter if it's this or something else. So it was difficult for me, uh, I think all the visualization, because I've just been a little tired anyway, in general these days. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, the other part in terms of the um, open and honesty that went on between people, the trust of uh, allowing yourself to share love with another person that you've just met. You know, all of those things were extremely valuable. And Ahanu, uh, at the end, he made a comment to me that I was glowing. And it was the exercise where, now you had to stand up in front of three other people and let them tell you what they see in you. And of course, um, for me, just to stand up in front of other people. <laughs> <laughs> it was a challenge. Uh, but then to be able to receive that sort of thing mm. from somebody um, is very healing. It's very healing. So I, I'm definitely advocating the training. Mm-hmm. I'm only was teasing oh, I know, when I, I say, that. you know. Mm. But I, but I, in a way, I'm not joking because as we were talking about the process of our memories at the beginning of this show and the whole idea of, of um, something altering our memories you know so it brings up a you know when you when you have memories you think to yourself were they my real memories mm-hmm. or their perception of the event okay mm-hmm. and to know that you can change the perception of the event mm-hmm. yeah. into something positive it doesn't have to stay mm-hmm. a negative thing yeah yeah okay. that was a very valuable lesson yeah yeah i i picked up uh, um, richard that you know, you don't want to put out the message that you know this is this is tough, mm-hmm. but 
you know, to be very truthful, it's not always easy to look at your stuff. It's not always Absolutely. easy to face the pain and those memories and the hardships and the traumas mm -hmm. and the difficulties and disappointments and failures. And what you do though, you know, and, and I'm being very sincere when I say this, because we've been to a lot of workshops mm -hmm. all over the years on all sorts of different kinds of things. And this was one where I have to say, I felt that I felt challenged by it, absolutely no doubt, because I knew I was going to be facing these demons just the same. But mm -hmm. it was the gentle way that you actually handled it all mm. that allowed it not to be such a traumatic experience in itself, mm. but allowed it to be a very, very healing process. And it was one of the driving forces for wanting to speak to you today because I want our listeners to be able to get mm -hmm. to know you and to know that, you know, no matter what difficulties they're facing in their lives right now, that there are solutions all over. And yeah. your one, in the gentle way that you allow people to grow through adversity, is an absolutely wonderful way. Mm. So let us remind our listeners that we're speaking with Richard Benson, who is an awareness facilitator, a guide, as you call yourself, based in Bend in Oregon. But here's the question, is it possible for people outside of Bend, I mean like in remote areas or even outside the country, to partake of this over the airwaves or do they have to be physically present? Mm -hmm. Every Everything I've offered has been physically present. Okay. Yeah, I haven't done, you know, consultations or phone conferences conferences or any anything like that yeah i'm pr pretty and a lot i know more and more people are you know getting into that and certainly things like distant distant healing and so on which i firmly believe in but yeah this, for me it's all it's been all you know f physical eyeball to eyeball toe to toe it's especially a good excuse for a vacation huh? <laughs> uh, to a lovely town okay mm -hmm. i must i might say but um i want to go back to you t presenting yourself as a guide as opposed mm -hmm. to a guru or even a teacher mm -hmm. and before the show you and i were talking a little bit about lives being guided so i have two questions mm -hmm. one is um why have you chosen to use that word as opposed to any other word as the presenter mm -hmm. and number two you are a firm believer that our lives are guided so could you talk mm -hmm. a little bit about that can I just I do a break, <clears throat> do you? A very, very quick little studio break. Do bear with us. We're speaking with Richard Benson. We do have to take a short little studio break. But hold that question in mind because we do want you to answer that question when we come back. So stay with us. Years of research, thousands of profound statements, hundreds of sessions, miles of transcripts, months of listening, a vast archive of personal power and spiritual awareness awaits you. Join worldofempowerment.com today, a members-only website of practical spirituality for your fast-changing world. worldofempowerment.com Okay, we're back with Richard Benson, and before the break we were talking about guides and the fact that Richard when he does his trainings he refers to himself as a guide as opposed to a teacher or guru and that he truly believes that all our lives are guided so Richard you know the first question was why did you choose the word guide um, to define yourself and two you know could you say something to our listeners about 
how you know that we're always guided and what are some of the ways that you have realized you've been guided all along? Okay, well, the question one is, is relatively easy to answer. In my, as you may recall from the, the class, awareness training, one of the first things I said was, good morning, I'm Richard Benson, I will be your guide this weekend. And I really emphasize guide. And the reason was so I can refer back to that later in the class when I, I point out that we co-create this class. I'm not the teacher, and this is probably an hour into it, I said something like this, I'm not your teacher, trainer, facilitator, doctor. Even though I could use those terms, the reason I use guide is that with experiential classes, it is a co-creation. My role as a guide is to guide the exercises competently, and then after every exercise, in the introduction, I said, I'll ask for anyone have anything they want to share about that experience, and it's really the, you know, two or three people that raise their hand and share, here's what I got out of that, or here's what I saw, or here's what I felt. That co-creation is really what allows a class to happen, because other people might not have thought of what you just said, but they can relate to it totally. So it's a real aha for them. It's a gift they can take home. So yeah, my role is, is as the guide for that weekend or that day of a class, and the participants co-create it with their sharing after each exercise. And Angel Rose's second part of the question about the guides that you might rely on, like spirit guides, that mm -hmm. kind of thing. Can you talk to us about that? Yeah, and my life... Um, I didn't recognize it when I was a little kid or a teenager, but as I look back, it, I realize I have been guided. Um, for example, in Little League Baseball, uh, which was one of my favorite things, I remember as, I believe it was a 12-year-old, standing up at the plate ready to hit the ball, and there were times where I would decide I'm going to swing at this pit, this next pitch before the ball even left the pitcher's hand. Because I knew if it was in a certain zone, I mean not only a strike, but in the certain zone about waist high, give or take a couple inches, I could really whack it. So I just kind of, you know, would get this feeling now and then the ball's going to be there. And, be, and if I swung with all my might, I knew I could hit it at least to the fence, if not over the fence. So I guess that was, that's the first conscious memory I have of guidance. And that, you know, that didn't mean that I had the best batting average in Little League. I didn't. And I didn't hit the most. But a lot of times I was, I'm going to hit this one as hard as I can. A lot of times that worked out real good. Um, so that was that's an example of, of guidance. It would just come to me. Uh, another example would be, and this will answer your question better, I think. Um, when Debbie and I were, I was at San Jose State. This was before chiropractic college. And in my third year, and I was, this is the third time I've mentioned burnout to you, but you know, those big thick books, I was pre-dental. And man, there was so much study as a pre-dental student. And I was just fried mentally. And so there were these two couples would get together with each weekend. And one of them, Dwayne, had just bought this book called National Parks of the West. And so he, he brought it out to show us on this Saturday night, you know, to get 
together. And we were probably, you know, drinking and maybe smoking a little marijuana or something at that time. I don't remember exactly. It was medicinal even back then. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so he gives me this book and an example of guidance as I flip through it. In a nanosecond, there was about a 30-minute block of thought in, in my head, in just a nanosecond, to follow, to take this, get a copy myself, and follow these national, drop out of school for, for a semester, and follow the parks, you know, in, this, in the fall, like March, we'd head down to Bryan and Zeiss, Bryce, Zion, Grand Canyon, Moab, and so on. And then as summer came along, we'd go up to Rocky Mountain National Park, and then up to Banff and Jasper, and just make a huge circle of the national parks. So this was a block of thought that came to me, and then I told Debbie about it, and she thought, and it didn't make much sense a to drop out of school for her to quit her banking job mm -hmm. after all she was making two dollars and four cents an hour <laughs> at least uh -huh. <laughs> and so our parents anyway our, the that was that's an example of guidance but our parents thought we were crazy but it was the best six months of our life you know we got a, our little ford van lived in our ford van camping the whole time stayed in a motel one night in six months on her birthday but it was a best six months of our life. And it'd be harder to do that now, yes. you know, and at age 65 just to bugger off like that. But it was, you know, it was all guidance. Illogical, but I've kind of followed those thought flashes all my life. Yeah. That's the thing. I think true guidance is a bit illogical, isn't it? You know, especially me. when you don't really know why you're being led somewhere or why you have a feeling to do something. You just have a strong feeling that you should do this. And, you know, people will argue with you because it doesn't make logical sense. And in fact, they'll sometimes even think that you've gone off your rocker, okay, and you must be having some sort of a crisis or something to go mm -hmm. off and do that. Mm -hmm. But, and I think that's an important thing to point out is that, you know, the intuitive self is not logical. You know, it knows what it's doing. It has the bigger <clears throat> picture. But um, it'll give you those promptings. It'll be the thing that gnaws at you continually yeah. from within, you know, to go do this or come on or get going when it makes no logical sense. And people who can follow that, though, you know, usually end up the richer, you know, mm -hmm. the wiser mm -hmm. and the richer because they do take that leap of faith yeah. and they yeah. follow it. Mm -hmm. right? Which... Which does bring me to another question. <laughs> okay, you don't charge for your your um, trainings. You make it all a love offering, and uh, I find that very admirable because it must take faith in a way. You know that you'll always be provided for. So tell me how you came to that and how that works for you, and what's the thought process behind that for you. Well, the, the initial thought process was simply touching more lives, because um, when, I, when I started uh, Golden Bridge Seminars, all my classes are under the umbrella of Golden Bridge Seminars, I had a modest fee system. And it was very modest, very reasonable. But after people had been to each class, um, this was kind of before internet advertising and stuff. There just weren't more enough people. You know, there were some referrals, but the classes got smaller as everybody that I knew had been to the classes. So I thought, well, I, 
I'll open this up. So that was that's part of it, just being able to touch more lives. But it felt, and this kind of goes back to the guidance question, it really felt good to switch from a fee system to a love offering. It felt right. And that's the other half of the answer to the previous question on guidance. Um, when it, f if one thing feels better, no matter how illogical it may be, like I just knew I had to go on that national park trip. You know, I told Debbie, I said, listen, you're going to have to quit your job or I'm going without you. I, you know, I just feel it that strong. So anyway, but it just, it just felt not only right, it felt good and, and to not do it, to not feel good. So back to the fee system, as I thought about switching to a love offering, it really felt good as I entertained that concept and sticking with the, you know, the regular fee system did not, just didn't feel as good. So, you know, I think I, w I was guided into that also. But the other, the other component there, and maybe the most important to, to offering everything I do on a love offering, is that I sincerely feel that um, payment, if that's the right word, or rewards, um, come in many forms, as you well know, and not necessarily just coin. I mean, to me, it would be even more valuable than if I if I triple the income or quadruple the income I got from each class, that would not be as valuable to me as when I'm, let's say, 92 years old, still being physically fit to fly a little airplane around, mm -hmm. you know? So I feel like my rewards, although I don't know what they will be, um, will come in, in other forms, different gifts from spirit, whether it's, you know, good health in my 90s and still flying or, or whatever. Mm -hmm. But does that put food on the table, Richard, and allow you to have a home and heat and all of the necessities of life? How well, does it work? Well, it, it does at this point, and that's part of, I guess, um, the the chiropractic experience maybe that you know maybe spirit had this whole lifetime planned out even before i was born i don't know but with the chiropractic experience i did retire quite early because i was burned out but we were able to save a fair amount of money uh, my wife debbie is uh, retired um, accountant, banker slash accountant, bookkeeper. And so she's always been good at keeping track of things and, and, and saving. So, uh, you know, we're, we're not independently wealthy, but I've always felt that there will be enough. She gets a little more concerned about, well, if we live to 99.2, we will run out based on our current spending at 88.4. You know, I mean, she's way more analytical than me. Whereas in my, like the book I wrote, chapter one is, they're always going to be enough. You know, I just What's learned the title that. of your book? I learned that as a, as a child. Well, I, out of the blue a couple winters ago, I wrote two books. The first one is called Stepping Into Your First Personal Field of Abundance. And um, there were, and it's all, you know, just my own story of, you know, how the art of allowing and the law of attraction relates to Richard's life. So it's in the first person, the, the good, the bad, and the ugly, when I was following Spirit's lead and when I wasn't. Um, and then there were enough examples that wouldn't fit in one book that I, the next winter I wrote another book called uh, Life, Liberty, and the P Pursuit of Happiness, which is also um, basically my, my story with um, Expanded version. Yeah, just more more of the uh, the good, bad, and the ugly. And where do people get that, Richard? Well, the 
the first book um, I have in paper, and also I can email a uh, P. What do you call PDF. that? PDF. 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 That's it. You can see how technical I am. Mm -hmm. I, I can email a PDF copy to somebody. Um, the other book, I'm being a little more brave when I wrote the second book, not only PDF and, and paper copy, but it's available in Nook format and iTunes and one other Kindle. Okay. So I don't have those things, but I've heard of them. Okay. <laughs> no. well, they're out there. But, but uh, yeah, so one can, electronically, one can get them through Amazon and okay. those sort of... Well, what we'll do is we'll put a link at the bottom of this uh, show to where they can actually get in contact with you, mm. and you would be able to make arrangements and to send them the electronic copies. Two questions I have for you, Richard, and, and we started off talking about flying. And it seems to have been a passion of yours, obviously, for a lot of years, since 1977. Mm -hmm. And uh, some people, we've spoken to some commercial pilots, and uh, this is kind of fringe now, where we, we ask them, uh, have they ever encountered unidentified flying objects, or do they mm -hmm. ever see? Now, in your flying career, have you ever seen anything like that at all? No, not not that I recall. Mm -hmm. No, right, mm -mm. right. No. So when you talk about guides, you're not necessarily talking about kind of extraterrestrial. <laughs> no, no. I although I'm sure I have spirit guides. You know, again, it's and this is kind of from the Abraham teachings. You know, they bring it down to hey, if it feels good, go with it. If if it doesn't feel so good, avoid it. You know, right, right. going by how it feels, yeah. and. Um, so I, I found that very useful. Right. Now, my second question was about the name that you choose for your business, Golden Bridge Seminars. Mm. How, I mean, it's a beautiful name, first of all, of course, but what's the significance of that for you? <laughs> That you have some great questions. Um, here's a, another example of guidance, I think. When I decided to do my own seminars starting about 19 years ago, I think I had to have a title. And so I just, you know, one day in contemplation, I said, okay, lead me to a title. And I think it was that, that same day or the next day, I was flipping through a book, Emmanuel's book. Um, and Emmanuel is a non-physical family of teachers. Um, but anyway, in their book, they, they on the inside cover, it says something to the effect of, um, we thank you for allowing us to create a golden bridge uniting the physical and the non-physical. Now, they say it much better than that, much more eloquently. But I thought, there you have it, Richard, the golden bridge. But they talk about their work as being a golden bridge between physical and non-physical. That's fantastic, isn't it? So that's where I got it. Yeah, beautiful name. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now, you've used the word, or the, the expression, out of the blue several times. Is that like an aeronautics type of film? Or is that just your passion filtering through to your work? Yeah, it's not necessarily aer aeronautics. Yeah, just things coming out of the blue. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I have to ask you a question in regards to flying. Have you noticed any changes in the weather as you fly? I mean, what I'm noticing is when I used to fly, used to, I used to have so many smooth flights. Mm. And now it seems like everyone is turbulent. 
no matter where we go, what we do. Mm. Have you noticed anything like that? Any changes in the frequencies of the earth or anything? Not, no, I can't say that I have, but of course my, my cone of experience is really limited. Uh, most of my flying is just like 45 minutes to an hour to Eastern Oregon. We have a getaway out there, and so almost all our, my flying is, is out there. And, and I wait for good days not only a good day, but where there's two or three good days coming up, so I know I can get back safely. So although I'm instrument rated, I don't, you know, I prefer just to fly in nice smooth air. Right. Yeah. Yeah, he's not going all over the planet like we are. No, huh? so I wouldn't doubt what yes. you're saying at all, but yeah. it's not been my experience in this yeah. little sphere that I right, fly yeah. in. Because some people have said to us that uh, they have evidence that the um, the, um, North Pole. Yeah, there's there's a movement in the position of the North Pole, which is affecting the uh, coordinates of various airports and so on. And that mm -hmm. pilots have had to re re adjust their instruments to take account of this particular difference. Now, I'm not. A pilot. Well, they've actually built new runways in Florida to account for it. You mean in they've the changed the angle. changes and so on? Right, yes. right here at Redmond, this commercial airport, they changed. Uh, they have, you know cross runways and they're they all they didn't move the runways but they had to rename them from 100 degrees to 110 degrees oh really okay yeah, yeah. So yeah. That has, and yeah so they yeah it has happened so there's it has happened yeah yeah i go through such anxiety when i fly it's terrible do you yeah yeah until uh, one time i had uh, you know archangel rayfield was quite prominent in my life in my 20s early 30s and um Anyway, then I went out and told her things. But, you know, what's funny is that one day we were in North Carolina. We were heading to Ireland. And um, ah, two weeks beforehand, I start going into this anxiety about the whole thing. And um, so I presented it to Raphael. And I hear this angel really loudly say, why would you want to use your powerful mind for that? Okay. And it was it was such a, mm -hmm. like, bang, you know, <laughs> like, get out of yourself, will you, you know, and choose something else. And, uh, but you know, it was, it was, it makes a point that, um, you know, made me realize, yeah, you are creating this for some reason. You might want to look into why you're doing that. You know what I mean? Sure. Okay. Sure. So that, that, that raises a big question now for Richard, but let's just remind our listeners that we're speaking with Richard Benson of Golden Bridge seminars and we attended one of his seminars at the beginning of the year and it was absolutely life-changing and you mentioned about using your powerful mind and it's one of the things that I believe Richard does and correct me if I'm wrong here that you you create the space that allows people to use their powerful mind to create their future and you mm. do this through a, a process called treasure maps now, I want you to tell us again and to tell our listeners, what is this whole process about treasure maps? And we actually have one of ours that we created here in front of us. But explain to people what it is and how it allows that creative power within all of us to work itself into the physical. Well, I, the magic of it, um, here's what science says, first of all, that written goals are about 10% effective on 
changing your life and impacting your life. So if one has written goals and they read them morning and evening, that's a huge impact, 10%. And word pictures, like as I look at your treasure map there, Ahanu, um, it's words and pictures mm-hmm. on a, a 18 inch or 16 inch disc. And word picture, just having that there, uh, has a five-fold greater impact, 50% impact on your unconscious. So word pictures are five times stronger, according to science, than uh, just written goals. And then in class, we have, as you discovered, we have the opportunity to add emotion to the word pictures. So in the small group, as you recall, each of you s- stood up holding your treasure map, and you had two minutes to describe your dreams that you placed on your treasure map, also commonly called a vision board, and add emotion to it. And, and at the end of your two minutes, then I would play music, which means, okay, everybody's done. So all the groups would stand and applaud their individual. And you you received a 40-second standing ovation. And the idea there is for the one that just shared their dreams to receive that ovation. To I use the example of jumping around like Snoopy Dog with your ears flying and your little tail wagon and and you know dance around and suck it up but it, that's that's what I mean by adding emotion but that brings one to 100% impact on their subconscious oh, it really does it actually validates a person mm-hmm. in all kinds of different ways well it makes it real mm-hmm. you know make brings it into a tangible uh, presence where sometimes when you do that on your own Yes, you're putting the pictures and the words down, but to have another person mm-hmm. or a few other people validate, validate it yes. and make it even more real. Yes. That's pretty amazing. Yeah. yeah. I used to do something like that, you know, years ago. I used to just go into Barnes & Noble, and I'd just pick off, eh, randomly I would just grab three or four magazines. I'd sit down in their cushy chairs, and I'd flip through them, and if I saw a phrase that represented something that I desired, I'd write it down in my notebook. Mm. Mm-hmm. And I'd probably spend a couple hours there. And, you know, you watch your whole energy change from something mm. that is, you know, just kind of blah, you know, mm-hmm. in, into mm-hmm. a whole new positive energy. And yeah. I used to love doing that. I used to just sit there. First of all, I love being surrounded by books anyway. Mm-hmm. But, you know, just to find a phrase that said what I wanted yeah. or a picture. I didn't yeah. never cut out things from the magazines because mm-hmm. I didn't buy them. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I'd write down the phrases and uh, that was even a powerful exercise. Sure. Yeah. Yep. I now can I see that. Say, here's Angel Rose saying she loves being surrounded by books, right? Yeah. And she is the author of two books right mm-hmm. now as, as we speak, but also is about to become a professional publisher. All right. So now there's there's a dream come true from the treasure mapping. I mm-hmm. want you to tell us in the last few minutes that we have, Richard, about some real life stories of that you have about how somebody would use these treasure maps and to witness and see the manifestation coming into the physical. Give us a, a couple of examples. Well, I will. Um, one of them was a couple who came to one of my classes, this is probably 15 years ago, Roberto and Sue, and I have their permission to share their story, but um, they had been married four years at the time and were unable to conceive. And so on their, they made a treasure map together as a couple. 
for homework that night and came back the next day with it as you guys did. And in class, they had adoption on there since they weren't able to conceive their own child. Anyway, um, they got the applause from their group members just like you did. And it, I think it was the very next weekend. At, at the most, it was two weeks later, Roberto called me and he said, Richard, here's what happened. I swear to God, um, my some distant cousin from Colombia or somewhere in South America called and said, we just had our sixth child. There's no way I can take care of this little boy. Would you consider adopting him? And that was within a week or two of them putting it on a treasure map, adding a motion to it, putting the treasure map up in the, on their wall. So uh, magic like that. Mm-hmm. I've heard many stories yeah, paralleling and, and that. Yeah, and I want to ask you, too, uh, is to leave our listeners with a perspective, is that, you know, you know there's so many horrific things going on in the world right now. You know, just... Relentless, in my opinion. Okay, yes. so with the with our ability to manifest, we have heard from people uh, in in the past few years where they would say that it seems that it's more difficult to manifest, or when they try to meditate, you know, they kind of hit some plateau and they can't go beyond it. So, I would like to ask you, your how do you keep a perspective? Is it just through the Abraham teachings that are a constant reminder of the power of our consciousness? Or or how do you look at what's going on in the world? Well, the Abraham attitude about that um, really softens it for me. They have, for example, a daily quote. And this week, um, one one of their daily quotes talked about using all these horrific things as a reason not to feel good. Now, somebody wouldn't do that intentionally. Okay, I don't want to feel good today. I'm going to look at the news. People wouldn't do that intentionally. But Abraham points out you can use anything as your excuse to feel good or the same thing as your excuse to feel bad. So I I do watch the news. every day just to kind of see what's going on but I'm real quick with the beeper things that upset me that I know would upset me too much I'll turn it off or switch channels so I find something uplifting um, but I'm, I'm sorry your question again is how I just want to know how you I'm, keep a positive perspective or do you do you feel that we have just as much power to manifest now as ever or do you feel we've been clobbered, let's just say, by negative energy, which makes it difficult, more yeah. difficult? What do you think? I don't. I don't think we have any less ability to to manifest and create. Um, I think part of the part of my answer, and there are probably a zillion different answers to that question, is that our greatest responsibility is not to fix the world. Gandhi said it something like this, if I can get this quote right, that our our greatest strength is not remaking the world, our greatest strength is remaking ourself. Mm -hmm. And so even though it's kind of, some people will say, well, Richard, you got your head in the sand, man. You don't know what's, you know, you're not putting any energy into fixing things on the planet. But I feel okay with that because um, I really feel our, our greatest contribution is keeping our vibration as high as we can and influencing those in our sphere vibrationally as well as beyond our sphere to some degree. 
And if there is any answer to the, um, you know, the global, global problems that need global solutions, I think it's just one individual at a time just raising their vibration, their love quotient, and contributing more on that level. There's a lot of it too, isn't it? Saying yes to yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, with, in terms of, I always thought um, if one if one person can achieve greatness, mm-hmm. or they can demonstrate that they can manifest something they truly want in their lives, mm-hmm. that it it proves it for the rest of us. You know, it proves us that it's possible yes. that we can have what we want and desire, and, and mm-hmm. we don't have to go through all of this struggle and suffering. Mm-hmm. And that every time a person demonstrates that, it makes it more real for all of us. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's how you contribute. You know, you contribute with this higher quality of life, even. Do you know? Mm-hmm. A more mm-hmm. loving life, a freer life, do you know? Yeah. A more powerful life. And that does show people that it's possible mm-hmm. and uh, gives them permission to do the same thing, do you mm-hmm. know? Mm-hmm. Well, we do have with us a man by the name of Richard Benson, who is definitely influencing people for the better and Mm -hmm. is contributing in a huge way to changing a lot of people, not just on the one-to-one basis, but a lot of people at one point, at at various times throughout the year, because you run your courses at various times. Now, for people to get in touch with you, and as Angel Rose says, to even come for a vacation during the winter time to visit the snow-capped areas and the, <laughs> the skiing and the great, great facilities that are around this area in Central Oregon, or during the summertime. We haven't been here in the summer times, but we believe it's absolutely gorgeous. So how would they get in touch with you to come and attend one of your Golden Bridge seminars? Probably the best way would either be uh, to phone me or use my email. Um, I do have a website, goldenbridgeseminars.com, that okay. they can get more info. But And my phone number is on that. Okay. Um, my email is not, but I can give you that verbally if you want. It sounds like a phone number. It's 389-3072 at gmail.com. 389-3072 at gmail. But anybody's welcome to call or um, email with any questions or interest. Right, but they'll get you uh, easier perhaps at goldenbridgeseminars.com. Yeah, yeah, the phone number's on there and that would give them more info on what we have to offer. Okay. All right. All right, that's been absolutely wonderful. It's been a pleasure and a privilege to have you with us today and we thank you from the bottom of our hearts for having changed our lives with a wonderful Golden Bridge Seminar at the beginning of this year. Thank you. It's been a pleasure to visit with you. Thanks, Richard. You have been listening to Angel Rose and Ahanu on World of Empowerment Radio, your station for practical spirituality in a changing world.